Turn your Bibles with me to the book. I'm John Bruce Ronald. Um, some of you do know who I am, and forgive me, I'm sorry, I don't, just bear with me. Keith's fault, I work here, I, uh, there's some damage to this building that is, it's Keith's fault, but um, I saw him do it, and I didn't say anything, so it's, uh, it's good to be back here. I, I, uh, I appreciate your pastor, uh, Pastor John, uh, asking me to come and fill in, and uh, he's been a very good friend of mine for a number of years, and uh, uh, a great encouragement, and um, uh, John is um, John is a fantastic pastor, and um, I'm, I'm glad you agree with me. I was going to say you should agree with me, um, but he is uh, he is what I aspire to be as a pastor at my church, and which is funny because I've been pastoring a lot longer than him. He's just a lot better at it. Uh, and he would tell you that it's not him, it's the Lord. And I said, that's why God uses you, because you don't take any credit. And, um, and so uh, I hope that you do appreciate him and, and what he does and the way he, he cares for this church and the people here. And uh, every time I, I talk with him, he's got just wonderful things to say about his church and, and, and the congregation here. And uh, you are a blessing to him, and I pray that you continue to be so. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, I, I want to share with you a, a topic that um, I have been studying for the last couple years. Um, in fact, it, it started with a conversation with uh, Pastor John and him talking about uh, not attending church, but being the church. And it got me thinking about worship. And so I want to talk to you this morning about living to worship. Hebrews chapter 13, let's look at verses 15 and 16. It says, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to come together and worship. Thank you for this time to study your word. And we pray that you would speak to us. Lord, this is... Uh, your thoughts and mind revealed to us, and I pray that we'd be attentive, that we'd forget our ideas, our concepts, and, and, and our understanding, and let you share with us what you would have this morning. And we just ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the, the concept of biblical worship is, is very broad. Um, at, at my church, I'm in the middle of a series, and it's been going on for 16 weeks, give or take. So I'm not going to cram all of that in in the short time we have this morning. Um, but it's, there's a lot to it. But it got me thinking, talking about a, you know, being the church. Worship is not just something that we do when we come here. It's something that we live out every day, and it needs to be practical. Because for so long, I thought worship was coming to church, singing some songs, opening my Bible, and, and hearing a, a preacher preach at me. I said, well, that, I worship today. Check that off my box. And, and as I started thinking, you know, that, that church is so much more than just coming, I said, well, then what is worship? And so when we look at what the Bible has to say about worship, you have to start examining your perception of it. Uh, worship is to the Christian life what an engine is to a car. It, it's the very core. It's the most essential element. And worship cannot be 
isolated or, or, or relegated to just one place, one time, or one segment of our lives. We, we, we can't verbally thank and praise God while living lives of selfishness and carnality. A real act of worship must be the overflow of a worshiping life. Um, Psalm 45 verse 1 is just spoken to my heart, and, and the psalmist says, my heart is overflowing with a good theme. I thought every Christian should recite that to themselves every day, because it ought to be true of us. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. The word overflowing in Hebrew is rakash, and it means to boil over. That's what it is. That's what, what praise is. It's a heart so warmed by righteousness, so warmed by love, that it figuratively reaches this boiling point. And praise, worship, is the boiling over of a heart that's hot for God. And so as God warms the heart with righteousness and love, that resulting life of praise that boils over is the truest expression of worship. First of all, this morning, I want you to notice worship defined. I can give you a very simple definition of worship. Uh, Worship is honor and adoration directed toward God. And as we we study the concept of worship in Scripture, that definition fills up with with a richness. Uh, A a preacher that um, I knew, he, he just passed away last year. He was in his 90s and had been preaching longer than my parents had been alive, and he would come to hear me on Sunday nights, and it it made me very nervous. I didn't like it. It was intimidating. And he would just say, he never said anything bad. He would just sit there in the back row, because he's a good Baptist, right in the back, and he would just watch. And And I'd get real nervous, and I'd say, can I hide behind this pulpit and just deliver my message where he can't see me and I can't see him? And he said, no, no. Well, he he gave me this definition of worship one time. He said, worship is all that we do in response to the divine presence. I said, you should write a book. And he said, I have written books. I said, you should give me those books. (laughs) I thought, that's it. That's worship. That's not just a Sunday morning thing. That's not just singing. That's not just opening up our Bibles and listening. That's every day of our lives. There are several words translated worship in the Greek New Testament, and two really are noteworthy. The first is proskuneo, which means to literally to kiss toward or to bow down. It's used to signify humble adoration. We come to God and we know who we are and who he is. Know that we're not worthy to be in his presence. And so we bow ourselves. The second is latruo, and it means to pay homage. And both of these words carry the idea of giving, because worship is giving something to God. In fact, the old English word from which we get our word worship meant worthiness. Worship is ascribing to God his worth. It's stating or affirming God's value. Modern Christianity often stresses 
what we think God should give to us. We come to church and we, we share prayer requests and we pray, God, give me this. And listen, God does give to us abundantly. Amen? That was kind of weak. I mean, if you wake up and you're breathing, that alone means God has given to you abundantly. But we need to balance that truth. The essence of worship is not consuming. It's a selfless desire to give to God. And it begins with the giving of ourselves. And then our attitudes. And then our possessions. Until worship is a way of life. Every moment that we live becomes an act of worship. The key word in the New Testament to describe the proper act of worship is acceptable. You find this throughout the New Testament. Acceptable. And there are three categories of acceptable worship. The first is outward. Romans 14, 18 says, For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God. So what is this acceptable offering? I am a firm believer that when you study the Bible, you need to study it in context. Don't just pull verses out of wherever and make it say whatever you want. That's very dangerous because you can twist scripture to say anything if you know enough of it. So look at it in context. Romans 14, if you look at verse 13, it gives us the context. Paul says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So when Paul talks about serving Christ in these things and being acceptable, he's talking about how we treat fellow Christians. When we treat them with sensitivity, it is acceptable worship. When we come into the house of God, when we gather with believers and we're sensitive to those around us, it's an act of worship. It honors God who created that person, who loves that person, and it reflects God's compassion and care. When we know that somebody is hurting, when we know that someone's struggling, it's an act of worship for us to go to them and say, I love you, and I care for you, and I'm here for you. Paul writes that evangelism is a form of worship. Romans 15, verse 16, he says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. When we share the gospel, when we share the good news of what Christ has done for us, what he's done for the world, it's worship. Giving to the needy is acceptable worship. It demonstrates the love of God. Philippians 4.18, Paul says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. When we talk about acceptable worship, it is outward. It's giving. It is a love that shares what God has given to us. But then there's the inward aspect. Ephesians chapter 5 Paul says, walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. To do good is an acceptable act of worship to God. 
Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, Therefore I exhort first, of, exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. To live right. To make right choices. To live the Christian life. That is worship. And then there's the upward aspect, and I think uh, this is probably the one most of us are familiar with. This is thanksgiving and praise toward God. This is what's happening when we come together and we sing songs about Jesus Christ. We thank him and we praise him for who he is and what he's done. And all three of these, these aspects of worship are summed up in our text. Hebrews 13, Therefore by him let us continually Offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. It draws into the the concept of worship every activity, every relationship of human living. That means your job, your home, your family, your school, all of it your neighborhood, everyone you meet, everything you do can be worship. And just as scripture is dedicated to the subject of worship, so the believer should be dedicated to the activity of worship, should be practical. They they, they should be consumed with a desire to use every moment of your life to devote yourself to doing good, to sharing and praising God. Second thing I want you to see is worship applied. So that's all well and good to talk about it and to get a definition, but we need to live it out. And true worship touches every area of our lives. We're to honor and adore God in everything. In the book of Romans, Paul takes the believer from the wrath of God through through man's redemption to God's plan for Israel and the church, and all of these great themes of the redemptive theology are found in chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans. And then you get to chapter 12, and Paul says this, if I can find it. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you see that word acceptable. And he says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. The mercies of God refers to all of the material in chapters 1 through 11. There's a lot. The theme through all of it is God's merciful work on our behalf. Paul, he defines the Christian life. He defines its benefits. He lays all of this out, our salvation. And then he says the only response, the very beginning of acceptable worship, is to present our bodies, ourselves, as a living sacrifice. Think back on all that God has done for you. I'm not even talking about, well, the, 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 
money you have in your bank account, the car you drive, the house you live in, uh, your family. I'm not talking about any of that. That's all from God. But let's, let's, let's go to the, the very essential because if God had given you nothing else, Christ died for us. The nails in his hands and feet, the spear in his side was for me. It was for you. And Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you by the mercies of God. Give yourself as a living sacrifice. Peter gives the same basic truth. First Peter chapter 1, he describes the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And then in chapter 2, he gives our response. 1 Peter 2.5, he says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews makes a similar point. Hebrews 12.28, he says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So how do we respond to the grace of God? How do we respond to all that God has given us? Our all-inclusive response to God, and the only activity that matters is pure, acceptable worship. We have this thought goes throughout our society and has for thousands of years. What is my purpose? What am I here for? The answer is to worship God. The last thing I want you to see is worship prioritized. God's word repeatedly confirms the absolute priority of worship. Hebrews chapter 11, there's a list of the Old Testament heroes of the faith. The very first one is Abel. And if you study the life of Abel, which is not very long, but you, you see something in his life, there's one word that it, that it echoes, and it is the word worship. That is the dominant issue in his story, is that he was a worshiper of God. He worshiped according to God's will. And you study it and people say, well, it's because he offered a, 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 a lamb and Cain offered uh, the, the, the fruits of the harvest. And that's not really the problem there. Lots of people offered, there, there, are, there were Old Testament offerings that were grain offerings, meal offerings. It didn't necessarily have to be a lamb. That was a different type of offering. That wasn't the issue. It was the heart. What was Abel's issue was that he offered from the heart. He, he offered according to God's will, and his sacrifice was accepted. And that's all we really know about him. That's it. He worshipped God. The second person mentioned is Enoch. And if you look at his life, it's identified by one word, walk. He walked with God. That means he, he lived a godly, faithful, dedicated life. He walked with God. That's what we know about him. What a thing, what a testimony to have said about you. Nothing else is mentioned except that he walked with God. And then you have Noah. And Noah is identified by the word work. 
He spent 120 years building the ark. 120 years. That's a long time to work on one project. Um, About two and a half years ago, uh, my wife gave birth to twin boys. And a little bit before that, I started working on a project because uh, we didn't have enough room for two more people, let alone, you know, for one more person, let alone two. So we said, we got to build some rooms. So I built some rooms. And they got there. Well, the rooms were finished a little bit after the boys were born. Uh, It's fine, though. Um, So now they're two and a half. Last month, I finally finished the last project in my oldest daughter's room. She's was furious for nearly three years. That's how long it took me. I hated it. I hated every second of working on it. It was, I, I, I knew because she's like watching me. When's it going to be done? Is it, are you close? What else do you need to do? I'm like, shut up. I'm going to bury you inside these walls and no one's ever going to find you. I didn't really say that to her. I thought that. Three years. I cannot imagine working on something for 120 years. He was dedicated. He worked 120 years working on something that no one saw a purpose for. They're like, what in the world is that thing? That was a work of faith. But I want you to pay attention to the order that's given there. Because it goes beyond chronological order. It really has to do with an order of priorities. That's why it's listed the way that it is. You have Abel, who worshipped, you have Enoch who walked, and then you have Noah who worked. If you study the order uh, of the, the, the layout in the, the camp of Israel as they were wandering in the wilderness, the order around the tabernacle, you have the same order. There in the very center of the camp is the tabernacle. It's worship. Then out from there you have the priests who led the worship. And then immediately surrounding them were the Levites who served. And then there was the camp beyond that. You have the same order. Worship is in the center and service is secondary. The same order was built into the Mosaic law. And the age requirements uh, for the different ministries you have, you had to be 20 years old to serve as a soldier according to Numbers chapter 1. He had to be 25 to serve as a Levite to work for the temple in Numbers chapter 8. He had to be 30 years old to be a priest and to lead worship. Because leading worship demands the, the highest maturity because it's the highest priority. It holds the greatest significance. You see the same order of priority among the angels. In Isaiah chapter 6 is a description of Isaiah's vision. And he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Seraphim literally means burning one. So these are angels that are associated with the presence of God. They burn with worship. 
And you say, well, why in the world do they have six wings? Why that description? Seems like kind of an odd thing. And if you read the Bible, it's filled with some very weird descriptions of creatures. And you say, that is, I couldn't even dream stuff that weird. But you have this, this being with six wings. He's got four for worship. He covers his face to not look on God's glory. And he covers his feet to protect God's holiness. But he only uses two to fly and take care of his service. There's a priority. Four are are reserved for worship and only two for service. Our ministry within the church needs to be kept in perspective. The things we do, our service here. Ministry comes down from God the Father, by God the Son, in the power of God the Holy Spirit, through the human instrument. But worship starts in the human instrument and goes up by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Son to God the Father. There's a priority. In the Old Testament, a prophet was a a minister of the word. He spoke from God to the people. But then you had the priest who, who led worship. And the priest spoke from the people to God. Worship is a perfect balance to ministry. But the order of priorities begins with worship. I hear people brag about what they do in the church. Well, I take care of this ministry, and I take care of that, and I take care of that. And that's great. I'm I'm glad people do things. Everyone ought to have some ministry they are involved in in their church. Absolutely. No one should just come and sit. Because, well, that's all I do. Then you need to rethink what you're doing here. Everyone should have something they're involved in. But listen, that's not the most important thing about being part of the church. The most important part is worship. In Luke chapter 2, very familiar story I'm sorry Luke chapter 10 it says now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus feet and heard his word but Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said Lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone therefore tell her to help me I want to stop right there for a second. Can you imagine having Jesus in your house and barking orders at him? Um, I don't know how it works in your house. Um, I wouldn't bark orders at my wife. Would not happen. Oh, I, I, I could try it, but I might end up in the hospital and I don't want to do that. Now imagine Jesus in your home and tell her to do this. Wow. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. See, he doesn't doesn't stand up and say, hey, I'm God. Who do you think you are? Even in rebuke, he shows mercy. He says, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Mary got it. Worship is is the primary, essential. uh, uh, Service is wonderful and necessary, but it's only a corollary 
to worship. Worship is central in God's will. Jesus taught a similar lesson at the same home. John chapter 12, it says, There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his, hair, uh, wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Mary's action was was humiliating. A, a, A woman's hair was her glory. And feet... Feet are dirty and disgusting. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't want to do a foot washing service. I mean, if that's your thing, great. I'm not doing that. I don't want you touching my feet, and I don't want to touch your feet. Feet are gross. And they didn't wear shoes. They were barefoot, or they wore sandals. I went. I was over in Israel uh, nine or ten years ago, and. And I'd always heard stories about how dusty it was and, you know, how people's feet were dirty. And I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. And then I remember going through the desert and coming back, and my shoes were just covered with dust. There was dust in my shoes. It was in my socks. I was like, this is gross. Now imagine someone sits down at your house and they're like, all right, wash it up. No, it's not happening. And this, this woman takes her hair. And rubs his dirty feet. She uses this very expensive ointment. And it seemed very wasteful to the pragmatists. And Jesus rebukes that attitude. He said, why why would you spend that kind of money? I heard people criticizing churches that put in stained glass windows. That's so wasteful. Is it? It can be. I think if you have the wrong attitude, fine. But it's never a waste when, when we, we, we give to God in worship. Jesus commended Mary's act of prioritizing worship over anything else in life. The element of worship is largely missing from all of the activity that goes on in churches. We have all these different programs, all these different activities, and so little worship. We're big on ministry and small on adoration. I think we can become disastrously pragmatic. And we only want to know what works. We can't do that. That's a waste of money. We want formulas. We want gimmicks. But we leave out that to which God has called us. There are too many Marthas and too few Marys. We're so deeply entrenched with doing that we miss being. We are programmed, we are informed, we are planned, we are busy, and we slight worship. 
We have our, our, our fads and our rituals and our traditions. But true spiritual worship eludes us. A.W. Tozer called worship the missing jewel of the church. We have hundreds of thousands of churches in America. Hundreds of thousands with billions upon billions of dollars in, in, in facilities dedicated to worship. But how much worship is actually going on? Worship as the word of God presents it is, is internal. It's sacrificial. It's active and productive. And that is not at all like the world's concept of worship. Yet it is the only kind that is acceptable to God. Here is the purest kind of worship. It is the kind that ascends to God as sweet incense. It is expressed continuously in every aspect of our lives by sharing with others by doing good works, and by offering praise to God. That is the kind of worship that God desires. It is worship in its deepest, most spiritual sense. And it can't be disconnected from the rest of our lives. It can't be something that you do here and here alone. It has to happen when you're at home. It has to happen at your job. It has to happen when you're with your family, when you're eating dinner. It has to consume us. I want to ask you to stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I think we as believers ought to take the time on a regular basis to examine our worship lives. Is it what it needs to be? Is it, in, is it in its right place in our lives? Is it balancing our ministry? I think if you are very involved in your church, which is, is great and I encourage you to be, but there is a danger that we get distracted I see it with pastors all the time. Because church just becomes something that we do. And we neglect the worship aspect of it. Be involved. Do ministry, yes. But balance it with worship. Maybe that, that describes you. Your worship has gotten out of balance. Holy Spirit's tugging at your heart saying, listen, I'm glad you do these things, but if you neglect me, you're missing out on everything. Or maybe you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior. You can sing all the songs that you want. You can come to every church service, but you're not worshiping because you don't even know God. Real worship goes through Jesus Christ is powered by the Holy Spirit and you don't even know him. And the greatest act of worship that you can do is get to know Jesus Christ. Let him save you. 
and we sing a, a hymn of invitation. I invite you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you come. Someone would be glad to take the Word of God and show you how you can know.